0: Welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm Karen Bush, your host, and today I'm joined by Susan Clinton, doctorate in PT, who some might call the guru of pelvic floor physical therapy. She is an award-winning PT and co-owner of Embody Physiotherapy and Wellness in Sewickley, Pennsylvania. She's on the faculty at Andrews University in the Doctor of Science in PT program and the host of a podcast called Tough to Treat and so much more. So check the show notes for her full bio. She happens to be a longtime friend, yet the offering of this conversation really had me thinking about all of the clients I have that experience urinary frequency, incontinence, constipation and bowel issues. I know, I know, no one likes to talk about this stuff, but folks, it's time that we do and that it's more out in the open because more women and men, frankly, have these issues and no one knows what quote unquote normal is, or what to do about it when you discover it's not normal. So we talk about the connection between breath, gut health, stress, and triggering into the fight or flight autonomic nervous system, Overhydration, how we create a cranky bladder. Our body's ability to detox naturally happens through bowel, bladder, and sweat. So if you get those things regulated and shift some lifestyle things around in the meantime, you support natural detox daily so key to overall health today we talk about what's normal and what's not what contributes to these issues and what to do about it so the need for this information and what we uncover in the conversation is so needed so i'm glad you're here with us to learn thanks for listening and here we go well welcome susan to the full capacity living podcast i'm excited to have you here and Um, We're going to learn a little bit about you and how you came into doing what you're doing right now, um, and then talk about all things pelvic floor, um, women's health particularly. Um, So tell me where you started. Where did you start and how did you get where you are now? I know that's a big story, but.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Um, I've been a PT for over 40 years. So, and I started off in, um, when I, it was in the 1980s when I started. And of course, we had a different kind of epidemic going on at that time, which was the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I was mainly working in ICU and in the, you know, uh, the area up there and, you know, working with all of the, the men that were in the, the wards there that, you know, actually were dying of tuberculosis. You know, that was the big killer at that point. And I learned in the in ICU. I learned a lot about uh, multi health systems, all coming together at once, and not really a regional approach to the body. But you know, as a person, just everything and how it all intersects: the nervous system, the respiratory system, the cardiovascular system, the musculoskeletal system, all of those pieces. Um, as I moved ahead, um, I was working um, in general. Uh, just uh, hospital orthopedics, and again, same thing. Most of the people who had, you know, total hip replacements or total knee replacements or hip fractures also had all kinds of other health markers, you know. And so you were treating all of them and not just part of them. And then I, then I uh, was, as you well know, um, doing uh, neurological rehab for many, many years, which I really think is what really impacted me mm-hmm. um, for the most part to set me up for where I am today just because you just learned so much about the central nervous system working in a neuro rehab, you know, unit facility with so many disciplines and and how it all really has to work together and how quickly the nervous system can change but how neuroplastic people are and how they change in different ways that are unexpected
0: Which way back in the day we didn't mm-hmm. think neuroplasticity even existed, right? Exactly. And I I love the way that you're thinking in a systems biology way, because in functional medicine, that's really what we talk about. It's systems biology. It's not pieces and parts that are separate from each other. It's the whole picture, mind, body and spirit, as well as physical parts.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, the biology, I think, is important. You know, when you think about that, it's not it's, you know, there's always the big talk in physical therapy right now about biomechanical versus biopsychosocial and people think that the biopsychosocial approach which is an integrative approach like functional medicine you know looks at not just one system and tries to write one system but how it all impacts all the systems is that you know we're not abandoning the the body and the movement system we're looking at the biology of the person mm-hmm. you know and part of that like you said mind body spirit it all comes together you know the psychosocial piece as well Well, when I left um, the the rehab, uh, the neuro rehab, I started working in a academic facility where um, we were sitting, you know, in a, a, it was a a health sciences center academic facility. So we were seeing people with, you know, people that came in with all kinds of of issues into the outpatient center. And um, there was a lot of patients that were being referred from, you know, orthopedists, but I remember one one person walking through the door who supposedly had, quote, shoulder pain, you know, then everybody fondly referred to their clients back in those days as their body parts and not by their name, Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but just re- looking at them and going, why are they walking like that? You know, like, what's up? shoulder pain? Why are they, <laughs> they ended up having shoulder pain because they had this neurological injury that, mm. you know, created a disturbance in their movement system that altered their gait and, and how they moved and uh the shoulder pain came as a result of that, you know, just from the the, the altered changes. And that just re- always reminds me when I think about that viewpoint of just how the system is, is connected. I got into uh, doing a little bit more pelvic health. And when we talk about pelvic health, we want to think about the urinary and the GI system. Right, right. We all but we also have to think strongly about the autonomic nervous system as well. Um, and that that occurred when I met uh, Dr. Lewis Wall, who is the um, gentleman that wrote the very first ecology book wow. in, in the United States. And he was uh, at the same place, he was in the same medical center that I was in. And he really needed to have, um, you know, a physical therapist begin to start working with his patients. Where was this? So, what what center were you at? Um, I was at LSU Medical Center.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: New mm-hmm.
0: Because when I met you, I think you had left, you know, neuro, and I met you through a, a personal friend. But I, you know, I I met you when you were working at LSU.
1: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. And um, so I, he taught me everything he know, knew about urogynecology. And then he said, OK, I'll start. You know, So I went to his office and I learned. And I took myself over to the library and sat down with books and just basically thought, OK, so let's just try to figure this out. So he says, I'll start sending new patients. And I remember kind of looking at him sideways. And he just said, he goes, you're a physio. Figure it out. <laughs> so you know, it's kind of always interesting because and you know, at that time, there weren't all these courses right. that are everywhere now, which is wonderful. Right. There was a one course that went on for ten days, and there was no way with a child at home that I could leave and go somewhere for ten days. I just it wasn't going to happen. So, um, there was a physio up the road in Baton Rouge. Fatima Hakim was at Women's and Children there at that time, and I, you know, called her and I said. Nine one one. I need, you know, (laughs) help now. So it was great. I brought her down and we gathered some people together and we just started going through everything. And we, you know, we just applied what we could find in the books and the articles that were written. And she had taken a couple of courses. So she was uh, further along the spectrum than I was, and um, I basically just sat there with my clients and listened to their story, which is why functional medicine is so important to me because that's what it is, right? Right. Well, it's, you can connect hearing everything
0: that goes on with them. Well, you start to connect different things. It's really mm-hmm. that that timeline allows you to see what might have been the the precipitating factors, the antecedents that might have led to where that person is now that nobody else is considering because they're just looking at the shoulder. They're just looking at the hip. Yeah. They're looking at, okay, somebody's incontinent. It's probably because of you know the babies that they had, but what about injuries previous to that or anything else they've experienced, which I think is, is an amazing way to look at it and, and very broad spectrum, which you kind of... so So tell me, like you were finding this stuff in books and courses and not very many courses at the time Um, Mm -hmm. did you sort of create sort of this idea of, of what's going on with people from sitting down and talking to them and putting those things together first yourself?
1: Yeah. So first I would just, you know, just listen to their story and find out, um, some of the early patients that came to me at the time was patients who were having a lot of pain, uh, pelvic pain, and particularly, uh, very painful bladders. Mm -hmm. And the other group that found me was a group of colorectal physicians. And so they started sending me their patients that had um, fecal incontinence and constipation. Okay. And they, I had all these people coming to me all at once. And it was like, oh, here we go. So, but anyway, just, you know, hearing their story and really teasing things out um, as I kind of moved along the spectrum, you know, a number of things came up that I saw, you know, kind of pattern wise um that you know all patients with urinary incontinence don't look alike Mm -hmm. you know some of them are, are are problems with you know endurance of the muscles endurance of the movement system some of them are problems with pressure you know and we'll get into that in just a few minutes but a lot of breath holding creates a lot of pressure in the lower belly and that puts a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor so people cough and sneeze, they bend their heads down <clears throat> and tuck into themselves, which I learned a long time ago in ICU that this is the one time you want a forward head position you want to open the airway and let's get it out. Yeah. Um and we certainly did that in neuro. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially the people with um, traumatic head injuries. Uh, you know, and just so you could, you know just listening to their story every time I sneeze and so I just started asking questions like show me how you sneeze wow. you know show me you know laugh. I would start to make them laugh you know because they would you know leak when they laugh and I would start seeing some of these movement patterns that were associated with it and I thought maybe this isn't just all about whether the pelvic floor contracts relax or is coordinated but it's like how it works with the whole system up and down and so that it became kind of interesting to start to play games a little bit and see like well what happens if you do it in this position try it and see what you know as you move along and report back to me and so my clients you know test retest is what uh you know i believe you know good rehab science is about you know we we don't always have the answers we individualize it but we need to base it on you know biology So, I would have them go away and try different things. You know, like what happens if you stopped and you leaned forward and you, you know, opened your mouth and, you know, cover, of course, but, and you just didn't block your, you know, or hold your nose. Don't hold your nose because all the pressures go somewhere else. Yeah. And see if it starts to get better. And people were making some really nice changes just based on doing some pretty simple you know, movement changes that we know today really applies in the movement system, especially around the work that we've all learned and are applying around uh, pain science neuroeducation. So, so asking, I think,
0: here's what I want to know. When, when you started to ask people these questions, like, show me how you sneeze, show me how you laugh, which is not pretty common for a physical therapist. What was the community around you thinking? Like Susan's asking her patients, like tell, tell me how you sneeze. How did, I mean, and, and you're seeing progress. This is fantastic, but mm-hmm. but that's not a typical thing. And people would be like, what is she doing? What, so what exactly. was the color oh, around it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there was always the you know, the the person doing pelvic health is behind the closed door. You know, they're not out in the gym. I, my clients were out in the gym with everybody. You know, they, we were doing this stuff, you know, out, you know because I wanted them jumping. I wanted them, I wanted to load their system in many different ways because, you know, just squeezing one muscle wasn't going to make a system mm-hmm. change. So um, it's always been that way kind of since I've been in this world. Is like people have always, even my clients still look at me you know, like you want me to do what? And it's like, you knew I was different when you came to see me. Yeah, so is this, with it. like you're teaching this, but is this
0: widely mm-hmm. accepted now in the world of pelvic health?
1: It, it, it gets, it's much better now. You know, we have a lot more research to back up intra-abdominal pressure differences and lifting tasks and, um, you know, behavior of the neuromuscular system underneath these loading, these loading activities. We used to think that, you know, sit-ups were the spawn of all evil. If you had a pelvic organ prolapse or if you had pelvic pain, we know now that, you know, sitting and straining on the toilet is way more is going to increase your pressures, and probably, you know, uh, put your uh, pelvic region at risk greater than doing hundred sit-ups with your legs straight. Wow! You know, we're just learning a lot of a lot of you know different things now, which makes it a lot more um, interesting. Yeah, to have research kind of come along and catch up to it, but also kind of keep steering us in some new and different ways. Yeah, one of the the newest uh, pieces of literature that's coming along is looking at hip strength and hip range of motion and asymmetrical hip strength and you know differences across hip strength. Okay. with incontinence, okay. and so it made, you know, everybody's kind of made it very regional about the pelvic floor because it was so different and nobody wanted to go there, Right. that it's become kind of like, ah, oh, let's not pathologize the pelvic floor, let's remember mm-hmm. that it's part of a system and, you know, the hip musculature is integrated, you know, neurologically and fascial connections and, you know, certainly bone and joint connections mm-hmm. all all together with the pelvis and so it's important to look at those and and think that it's not just about getting a strong pelvic floor but maybe it's about getting it just a much stronger healthier person and what you're doing is very individualized
0: with each person which is yeah. really amazing because it isn't just you know everybody has their own story and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the functional medicine approach too so when you do the timeline was there sort of you know now that i'm talking about individualizing i'm 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 going to ask you was there a pattern that you found but are there some common things that you see in people who have either the urgent frequency or um, loss incontinence or even the constipation? Because these are things we talk about in functional medicine all the time. The amount of t- people don't know because they don't talk about going to the bathroom and having a bowel movement. Some people think it's normal to not have one for a couple of days. And I wanna say, gosh, that's just not really okay. There's lots of things that can happen because of that. but are you seeing maybe some key things? Like if you were to say, what are the top five things that may influence each one of
1: these things? um, Yeah, that's a a, a great, great question. First of all, I don't think that we should ever separate out GI and UI systems together. Urinary and and, uh, gastrointestinal systems are are, um, together embryologically and all the way through. And so one influences the other constantly. And one of the biggest contributors to urgency frequency, you know, when people have to go, 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 you know, like the little bathroom sign for your listeners out there, you know, where they see that on TV. Yeah. One of the biggest contributors to that is constipation. Really? Hands down, hands down. Oh, this is groundbreaking. Susan. (laughs) (laughs) Brownbreaking. (laughs) groundbreaking. For two reasons. Number one, you're walking around with a with a, a load in your, you know, right on top of your, so if the sigmoid is constantly holding stool or the descending colon is constantly holding stool, which is much more the case, right? With chronic constipation is it's impacting way up the chain. <clears throat> you've got, you know, so you've got some mechanical pressures which are not going to be good. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. other piece of it is, is, you have to think about in the functional medicine world, we think about this all the time is that constipation is inflammatory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes.
1: You know, and one of the reasons for females, especially that it's not great, and especially for inflammation, is because that's the only way we can really clear our estrogen metabolites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if we're not going to the bathroom, you know, we're not clearing the estrogen metabolites that make us hypersensitive to, you know, so make our nerves much more sensitive. That makes our uh, our menstrual cycle heavier and harder and maybe more crampy. Oh, this is beautiful that you're talking about this
0: because just the other day, I have a client who said to me, you know, I, I said I was going to be talking to you and this is going to be on our podcast and she has MS and she said, can you ask her if urge Frequency has anything to do with your hormonal cycle. And I said, yes, I'll put that on the list. And here you have answered it without even me asking about it. So it can Mm -hmm. affect, I had no idea that that actually can affect, well, first of all, that, that the frequency is contributed to by the constipation, which then causes imbalance in the hormones
1: yeah and with multiple sclerosis that you know there's a higher risk of of constipation because of slowed motility right you know maybe even loss of some abdominal wall muscle mm-hmm. so the pressures are different you know but even a slowing down of some motility especially if they're not as active or they're active in different ways than they were before
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so that can be one of the things that happens you know the uh, hormonal effect on urgency frequency is interesting because you see a lot of urgency frequency go hand in hand with dysmenorrhea, Mm -hmm. you know, with painful periods. And, um, you know, when you see a lot of bleeding, a lot of blood clots, a lot of pain, we start thinking, gosh, why is this person like kind of what we like to call estrogen dominant, Mm -hmm. which basically means that they're just not producing as much progesterone so the estrogen may not be out of bounds it's just the progesterone isn't meeting it mm-hmm. because no. their system is making uh stress hormones instead of progesterone yeah yes cortisol so steal right exactly exactly completely and the thing is is that and you think about that think about when you're nervous or getting ready to do you know and the the, the sympathetic are you know just kind of like the the uptick from like getting ready to like, if you're afraid of speaking in person or you're going to a party and you're shy and you don't want to go in the door, you know, any of those things, what happens is be like, oh my gosh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Right, right. So uh, so you can kind of like think about that, that system is running high all the time in the background. Mm -hmm. And so that can definitely affect not only our hormone production, but then the imbalance in the hormone production can affect You know, constipation and, and, you know, and uh, and periods and things like that. And, you know, over time, you know, when we are peeing all the, you know, when we're going to the bathroom frequently, um, our bladder is not stretching and being the receptacle that it should be so it gets really cranky oh okay and, well you know because so, it's it's just never it, you know it's always being told to be twitchy into you know any kind of you know any kind of stretch to it gives it an overreaction so
0: when so here's the question too because you and i spoke mm-hmm. about this earlier um when you're talking about some of the reasons why people have this urge frequency and I mean we're gonna still get to those other four top things, but yeah. in this, um, you talked about overhydration. Right? Yeah. So tell me overhydration. What you know,
1: what's your yeah. so another another common thing besides constipation for urgency frequency and even simple with there is such a thing as simple, but even just urinary incontinence is um is overhydration. Yeah. And I see this a lot. I see people will come in and they'll tell me their story. And one of the things that they're doing is I know I'm supposed to drink a lot of water and I'll just ask them how much what, like, how much are you drinking? Where did you get your information from? You know, mm-hmm. respectful triangulation of information is always very helpful. Right. And, you know, and then uh, one of the things that I do is I give them a fluid log to fill out. Mm-hmm. And because they're never really aware, they can tell you some things, but once they kind of hone in on it, then we're, you know, oh, I don't eat candy. And then they like sit down at <laughs> their week. And it's like, oh gosh, 10 times a day or something, you know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. but anyway, they become more aware. And one of the things that I want them to, to do is to tell me like, when you go and how long is your pee? Mm-hmm you know, and many of them are going, you know, so I get a range of stories. Some people go every 15 minutes and maybe have a one or two second pee, you know, that's a very cranky, very um, hypersensitive bladder Mm -hmm. versus somebody who's going perhaps maybe every hour, Mm -hmm. but they've got like a 20 second pee every hour. And it's like, you know, so normal for those of you listening is some somewhere between eight to 10 times a day. Okay. Yeah. Every hour. So if they're drinking so much that it's making them go to the bathroom every hour, and I hear this from a lot of people who are trying to lose weight, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, they're drinking. Uh, I think the, the last, the biggest one that I hear all the time is two thirds of your body weight.
0: Yeah. I mean, we if usually say that, half your body weight in ounces.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's like saying, you're gonna, it's, t- you know, you need to exercise. So I want you to start doing a five mile run every day. Yeah. And this person hasn't even like walked. <laughs> you know, that's what we're asking, you know, so people do that. They go from drinking, you know, hardly anything and usually not very much water and there. yeah i'm gonna get on the water bandwagon and let's go and they're gonna drink half their body weight and there's no way their system can handle it so it's a slow
0: titration you would want people to slowly titrate up to that and half your body weight is an
1: adequate amount or is it too much you don't know in opinion okay you know there's absolutely zero sign that's the one thing that everybody there's no scientific we have nothing okay. To show what's good. What I like for people to do is to feel, you know, is to be where they're. They're certainly not going more than every two hours. I would prefer three. Okay. You know, um, you know, so if they're kind of, and they're having a good, you know, happy normal, you know, like it's not a three-second pee every three hours. It's like it's, yeah. a, you know, a good a good ten or fifteen seconds. Yeah. You know. Okay. Um, and they're and they're not up at night. That's the other thing. Overhydration, yeah. You and I yeah. talked about the other day. So that's the third thing I see is how many times are they up at night? Mm-hmm. And so the story goes, like they're either, like I said, they're falling to the camp where they're just overhydrated, and then they're just up all night too. Right. Or they go into the story of I don't drink anything during the day because I don't have the opportunity to go to the bathroom. I don't take the opportunity to go. Right. Unfortunately. Healthcare workers, school teachers are at high risk for this because they can't go. They just can't leave where they are to go. So they don't drink anything. And then they start, when they start hydrating, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, or or even if they're shift working, whatever, when they get off their shift is when, or their time, they start drinking water because they're what? They're thirsty. And then they have to sleep. And then guess what happens all night long? They're up.
0: So, are you also saying, like, from what you mentioned before, um, when you're going more often and it's a small amount, that's what can make your bladder hypersensitive? And if if you start to slow that down, and don't go as often, because then then your mm-hmm. bladder is less sensitive. Because I, you know, one of the integrative doctors that um, I did a podcast with, she had a great Instagram post where she was talking about waking up in the middle of the night and assuming that you have to go to the bathroom, but maybe you actually don't have to go to the bathroom because everybody wakes up and thinks they have to go. And if you had a a conversation with your bladder and said, Hey, maybe I really don't need to go. I'm just gonna try and fall back asleep because sleep is such an important piece of of the puzzle for many people. So you're saying too, that that, that's legitimate. It's like, you know we're thinking we have to go more than we do. And if we actually didn't go as much, then our bladders wouldn't be as hypersensitive.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. But you we can't, we can't jump from, you know, like I said, you got to kind of like, I like your words titrate up. Yeah. Um, so you take somebody with a super sensitive bladder, maybe they have a lot of pain with it too. Mm-hmm. You need to start helping them, you know, uh, slowly hydrate okay. through the day. The goal is to not have the urine be so concentrated.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like looking at the color of your urine is so important just like looking at the texture of your bowel movements, which, you know, this is stuff nobody wants to talk about. So it can be important. tricky.
1: So if you're on supplements and stuff, sometimes that can change the color, which is why I like the length yeah. of time as okay. and the and the uh the time of, you know, and how many how much time between Okay. You no, know, so a fluid log is also very interesting too because you've got somebody who is a big coffee drinker. Mm. And one of the things that I'll notice on their fluid log is after they drink coffee, they may have three times to the bathroom in an hour. Whereas the rest of the day, they're actually pretty good. And it's like, what would happen if, you know, or maybe they're drinking five or six cups of coffee a day. What happens if we get one of those out of there and change it to water, you know, slowing them down a little bit and beginning to titrate the, the, you know, uh, caffeine, Alcohol products, but yeah. we're while we're rehydrating up with water, so we get kind of like you know the shift yeah. can be very too okay. Um, you know to, to, because there are things that are irritants to the bladder, and you know caffeine is a big one. Another real surprising one for people is dairy. Oh, dairy is a big bladder irritant.
0: Yeah, you know, talk a little bit about some of those other irritants. I mean, dairy surprisingly for a lot of people dairy causes a lot of problems and nobody really yeah. ever believes that that's true until they start pulling it out and then they put it back in and they go oh well this that and the other is back well <laughs> that's <know?" right>. yeah <laughs> i remember that gassy bloaty feeling i don't like that no yeah. <laughs> or it's even it's skin issues or it's fatigue mm-hmm. or it's you know mm-hmm. it's any number of things that don't seem directly related to gi issues and so This urinary issue is really intriguing to me too. And, you know, the reason that I thought this would be really great for the podcast is because I have so many people in functional medicine who have either constipation issues or urinary frequency issues. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, more people than not. And these are the things we don't talk about, like the normalcy. I never knew how much was really normal to go to the bed. I mean, I kind of knew eight to 10 times a day. But when you think about like, the length of it and the color and the frequency. Most people don't think about that stuff and I think it's really helpful. So what are some other irritants between um, besides caffeine and dairy? Yeah, so alcohol is a big one. Yep,
1: yep. And then we, you can look towards, you know, some of the foods that tend to make us a little bit more acidic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, really making sure that, you uh, you know we're not overdoing the tomatoes the tomato it's mostly it's not really tomatoes are so bad but you know tomato based products tend to have a lot of irritating stuff in them if you look at the typical jar if you're not buying a really nice organic tomato sauce you know that doesn't have anything but you know just the olive oil and water and herbs okay a lot of them have a lot you know so a lot of that stuff that you see on you know canned foods and processed foods nitrates and things like that are all very irritable, irritating to the bladder. Yeah. And it can be problematic there.
0: Well, again, you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's interesting what we talk about because, you know, sometimes you can almost, um, you know, break it down to like eat good quality food, whole food, Mm -hmm. lots of veggies, you know, and, and a lot of this stuff could go away for people, but that's not the only thing, right? It's it's habits and exactly. it's ways of thinking, and not connecting these things. So, all right. So we've got up at night. We've got over urination. We've got the constipation issue. What else are um, some common things that you see um, that trigger some of these problems?
1: So the the and then we've talked a little bit about sleep. So one runs the other. Sure. Um, when we don't sleep, the constipation gets worse. Okay because we're not telling our you know, rest and digest is a real thing. Okay. And I think typically what, um, I see on, uh, my clients who, who wear the wearables and are tracking their sleep is the lack of deep sleep is critical Mm -hmm. Um, it really makes the urinary system much more irritable and it makes the constipation worse okay yeah Um, you know so it really really does and the reason is is because they're just not getting the deeper rest that they need for those systems to be invited back on board okay yeah yeah just by those things like meditation and mindfulness and You know, balancing exercise is another one Mm -hmm. with urgency, frequency and constipation. I see this quite often and it's there's absolutely nothing wrong with a really high intensity exercise program at all, but it needs to be balanced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So people go from a really stressful type of work situation and then they go blow it all out in the gym. And their sleep is terrible. Yeah. They <laughs> always run into the bathroom. And what they, you know, so being able to really kind of take that and say, perhaps after a really stressful day is not the time to do a really stressful exercise program. Maybe that needs to be in the morning or at a, on this day, you know, when you're not when this is a quieter day, that's the day to do it. Okay. This really crazy day may be the day where you need to put on some tunes and go for a beautiful walk and, you know, just, you know, or maybe go do a yoga or Tai Chi class or, or just turn on a YouTube stretching video, you know, something easy, just to balance your system out a little bit because we can't always be working up here, you know, at the really top end. We don't ever learn. We we can get good at doing that, but what we end up losing, you know, in the autonomic nervous system, it's all about balance, and well, so our our soft system is going to rise up to meet the high system, yeah. and we learn yeah. that we need to come all the way back down, and that's where we start seeing the sleep quality change. Right. Oh my you gosh. Know. And this is like you're speaking my language because you and I both know mm-hmm. as you know people
0: think a health coach is someone who's going to tell you to lace up your shoes and and go run a 5k or you know take your supplements but it's really more often than not i'm talking people down from intense exercise and asking them how do they balance that out because when you ask the question well what do you do to relax or or kind of de-stress mm-hmm. and people will say well i exercise and i'll say well that can do a little bit of it but like you definitely need that balance and so thank you for reiterating that because i think You're welcome. a lot of people You know, and I'm, I'm somebody who did that for a long time, right? I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was something that, that in people, it's hard to make that shift from exercising Mm -hmm. intensely, which again, as you said, is not a bad thing, as long as you've got a really good balance. And in Mm -hmm. life, that's, that's basically what, you
1: know, like, variety is the spice of life, variety, balance, you got to get some variety in your movement program, just like you need variety in your food program. Yeah. It's like you need variety and your, you know, mindfulness stuff. You don't want to do the same type of meditation every day. You want to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, a quiet walk. You know, sitting in the sun for five minutes in the morning. There's a so many different ways Amazing. that we can reset the system and being able, you know, because something, you know, life doesn't always work according to a schedule, Are as we have here? all learned in this past eighteen months. <laughs>
0: So let's talk a little bit about that, that high cortisol levels, stress, tension, and constipation. So, so like when you have somebody that you notice from whatever you might be doing in your, um, your timeline, your initial evaluation, and you notice that someone has a lot of tense and, and tension and and stress and how that affects constipation from a stress perspective, like people don't really think that they're holding stress in certain places, um, but the pelvic floor and hip and abdominal stress, um, tell me about the connection between that stuff.
1: Yeah, so there's, you know, and it, just speaking for women, but we don't do know what happens in men, but this one particular study was done on women was uh, actually put women in uh, threatening situations or situations that they perceive just threatening. Um, and it could be something as easy as like I, if I don't do this, I'll lose my job. You know, like doesn't have to be like a physical like attack threat. Okay. You know, any because remember, running from the tiger is running from the tiger. Whether it's the alarm clock in the morning or you know okay. the jungle, yeah. um, they they were able to demonstrate and show quite consistently that there is a huge response in the pelvic floor. Okay, and it's a it's a tightening, it's a clenching that happens. Mm-hmm. So when you're really really kind of on that level it's really hard to relax to have a bowel movement yeah so that yeah. creates the end game problem you know to me that's the end game is the back passage and can you relax enough to allow things to come through yeah the second part of that is if the stool is too hard and too craggly it's painful mm-hmm. so then we splint against pain mm-hmm. so we don't want to have a bowel movement because it really hurts yeah you know, and it kind of sets up that, that neuromuscular pattern in there, like, oh, we need to go. There's supposed to be a way that we have a reflexive relaxation, mm-hmm. but we can override that. Yeah. And, you know, we can, so you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, antecedents and things that started this, like looking at a timeline, this could be something of, you know, having something really, you know, sad or something happening in somebody's childhood. could mm-hmm. set this up and you know and as an adult it's like it's been there for 40 50 60 years
0: and nobody's talking about it and that person doesn't really say it and they think that it's okay yes i have clients like that all the time the trauma you know when they when someone says i've had trouble with constipation since i was eight years old well there's something going on we don't necessarily need to know what that is but they need to you know figure that out and maybe work through that but it's interesting because we're talking about the stress piece and we're saying there's this clenching and pelvic floor tightness yet we also know what we mentioned earlier was when you're nervous about something and you're stressed about something it also can make you go to the bathroom more often right mm-hmm. so it can loosen the stool and make you have like a, a response that's different so mm-hmm. what what's going
1: on there and when yeah so that's, that's an interesting yeah that's an interesting piece because of the stress let's just call it cortisol, you know, I mean, obviously there's other stress hormones out there that are short-term stress hormones, but the longer one that sits with us forever is the cortisol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we when we live in a cortisol rich environment, we're hypersensitive, of course, you know, nervous, you know, that's widespread pain, you know, joint pain, things like that can also occur that um, we don't think about GI, but think about the stool that is sitting in an area of the colon where water is supposed to be being drawn out. Mm-hmm. So if it never goes out of there, it's constantly sitting there and having more and more water pulled out. So it gets hard and it gets rocky and it gets what we call impacted Mm -hmm. and it shows up on x-ray you lay down to have an x-ray for your back and the radio, it's like fecal, you know, stasis, there it it is. Just had a client
0: like that. Yep. And she was shocked. Mm -hmm.
1: But here's the story. I go to the bathroom in the morning and I have somewhat of a normal kind of bowel movement. And 30 minutes later i go again and it's starting to be broken and maybe there's a few pebbles and it, you know it's a little bit more loose then i go again and it's close to liquid and then the next three times it's totally liquid i am not constipated i have diarrhea and actually what they have is what we call um paradoxical diarrhea mm. and it's the washout so if you've ever seen a mudslide on this like it, you know picture a Uh, you know a mountainside that has a lot of rocks on it Mm -hmm. and it starts to rain yeah the rocks don't come down what comes down all the sludge around the rocks right Okay. okay and that's so so the stress part actually can take somebody constipated, make them actually even more constipated, but give them frequency of frequent stooling because now they have this irritating kind of sludge coming through. Okay. That is hard to stop. You know, you know you can't be strong enough to stop the Mississippi River. Um, you know, but that's part of it. And so, you know, and, and the, the the interesting thing is is why you know hearing the story is so important is, you know, they they've tried all kinds of fiber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, when you get impacted like that, fiber just sets up like concrete It doesn't and So they get gassy and they get bloaty and I can't have fiber. And, you yeah. Know. so.
0: So the first time I heard this and I was just looking to the side here to remember the name of the book was will Dr. Will Bolsowitz, who's talking in fiber fueled, by the way, is mm-hmm. the name of his book that that a lot of people who have loose stool are actually still constipated he's a gi doctor and Mm -hmm. so that was kind of news to me when i read that and so as you're saying right we're all talking about eat more fiber eat more fiber but if you do that and you still have that constipation it it sets you up for what you're doing so what's the answer
1: what do you do so the answer is Number one, if so, everybody listening, the best thing you can do. There's some other things that you can do too, but the very best thing that you can do, 100%, is chew your food. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yes. I mean, 40 times chews and no one's going to count 40 chews. I know it. I get it. I do, but I'm a swallowing therapist by trade, so <laughs> most people aren't. But so my trick is put your utensil down and put your hand in your lap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between every bite. And that's going to start to slow you way down in time, you know, before I even get people to chew their food, I'll just say, when you go back this week, I want you to just time your meals. Don't think you don't, no judgment, just, and they'll come back and say, Oh, I'm through eating. in you know, six minutes I'm through eating in 10 minutes. You know, it's like, so your goal is to increase that by how much do you think you can increase that by, you know, to where it's a little bit longer. So they come up with their goal, Yeah. you know, okay, well, so if you're doing 10, how would 12 sound? Do you think that's doable? You slow yourself down enough. So it'll be 12 minutes. Yeah. You know, one of the tricks are here. Here's a trick for you. Just put your fork down every time. Or if you're holding something, put, take, you know, put it, take it out of your hands. Yeah it down you know and give yourself a second before you go back and grab it or you go back and pick up your fork you learned that from your speech therapist friends didn't you (laughs) <laughs> just, you know, just one of those things. Totally, where the
0: disciplinary work comes in is you know. Oh my gosh! I mean, there it's huge for for that for digestion for gut microbiome stuff. So that's fantastic. So so slow down because everybody can yeah. do that, right? Whether you choose to do it or not is important. But if you know that it's going to make all of that so much better, um, that's great. So what's your number two?
1: What's like another thing that you would suggest for people to do? So number two is cook your vegetables and get your fiber from your vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and and stay away from the, the grainy fibers and some of the other stuff in the beginning. Get your system, because what the name of the game is to calm that central nervous system down, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the name of the whole game. That's the driver behind everything. And, you know, so cook the veggies, roast them, grill them, steam them, whatever you want to do. But, you know start the breakdown process and really chew them well and increase the alkalinity of your food so vegetables are naturally going to increase the alkalinity you know we need protein it's going to be more acidic and that's okay yeah. we can build more alkalinity into our system you know our blood ph is always going to stay stable if it's not stable we're in trouble that's going to be way beyond what you and i can do for people yeah. um but our but our body ph is different and we know that when we're In stress and in a high cortisol state we're acidic yeah and that again drives the hypersensitivity of the nervous system it breaks myelin down it makes it hard for the brain to function and then in that in turn the brain needs glucose to keep going so guess what it starts doing it starts screaming at your cognitive brain with everything that it has. I need carbs. Need sugar Now, carbs, exactly. <laughs> All you can get your hands on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in- <laughs> and so that's fighting that a little bit. So, but if you can get the other stuff in and you can get protein in to fuel yourself, mm-hmm. along yeah. with a good alkaline plate, you know, some low impact sugar fruits and like good cooked vegetables and things like that. Yeah. You can rever- you know, you can start to build a different factory that's gonna, you know, go on a different fuel source, and the need for the sugar is gonna calm down, and so the cortisol is gonna come down, mm-hmm. and your GI system is gonna do better. And you're
0: ba- again, you're balancing everything. I think what's mm-hmm. interesting too is kind of a correlate to what you're talking about with overhydration when people start Mm -hmm. to eat more veggie, um, which vegetables are a great thing to do, right? We talk about eating a lot, but you can't ramp it up from zero to 100 right at the onset. Mm -hmm. That will create exactly what
1: we've just been talking about, right? Um I'm not big on people who are in trouble, you know, like that, like in the heights of it, eating a lot of raw vegetables okay, because they're not going to chew them 40 times, yeah. you know, yeah. They're not. Yeah. but that's why cooking the vegetables helps. It yeah. starts the breakdown process. They're easier to digest and we want that system to, we don't want to, the system isn't going to do well under more stress. We want to kind of be kind to the system. Great. Good. So eating nice, easy, more. Level.
0: Things mm-hmm. chewing more, cooking vegetables, increasing the alkalinity. Anything else that
1: you would say to help get um, hardened stool? I, a, well, if we want to think about healing the gut lining, which I always like to do, the most simple thing to do is just a cup of bone broth every day. Oh, yeah. Three times a week. Well, the reason bone broth is so nice and my my very favorite, I know we don't talk about brands a lot, but my very favorite one for people, is, you know, just because I'm not going to take the time to make my own bone broth. I will just say that <laughs> right out loud. I don't want to, I don't you know, care. I, I don't, you know, but a lot of people can and I applaud them and hallelujah, if you want to do it. Yeah. I like kettle and fire. Okay. It's easy at the grocery store. It's in a box. And that's like three cups or something. So it's, you know, and it's not very expensive. It's organic and it doesn't have a funky taste to it. It doesn't leave a residue. But the reason that I like bone broth is because it's full of L-glutamine. And L-glutamine is a natural healer of the gut lining. Yeah, yeah.
0: Great. I mean, those are some really good, concrete tips mm-hmm. for people. The other thing that we kind of mentioned a little bit, um, as we, mm-hmm. you know, we want to talk about this as from from the the glottis to the pelvic floor, mm-hmm. um, breath and voice and how they relate to all of this, which is um, intricately interesting to me as a speech. You know, I, I still consider mm-hmm. myself a speech therapist, even though I'm a functional medicine health coach. It goes hand in hand often, and I thought it, you can't, but it you does. Separate.
1: Nope. So tell me about that. Yeah, the ability to communicate and ingest your food and drink your liquids and all of that stuff is, you know, it's all connected um, all the way around. So uh, if you think about it, you know, you can use the pitch of your voice to actually change how your, what we like to call our kind of internal core musculature operates. So if you take your voice and you raise it up high and you talk really high and you talk really high and loud, you'll feel your pelvic floor and your abdominal wall begin to really kind of pull in to support that. okay. And then when you talk low and you talk down low and you talk really low, <laughs> everything has to work, but in a much different way. So it kind of starts to lengthen and work in a lengthened position rather than in a, you know, so we can either bend our elbow tight or we can straighten our elbow out. You know, the the bicep muscle has to either shorten or lengthen, but same it does thing, that.
0: Yeah, same thing with so, we know when your pitch of your voice goes high, your vocal cords
1: stretch out a little bit longer. And so actually, yeah, and they come to in the folds come together, you know. So and you have to have, you got to right. support that system around there. Right, right, right. Okay. And we're, we're neurologically connected all the way through, which is why I say you got to think urinary and GI together because for those of you who have had babies, you could always tell when they were teething because they would get a raw sore anus oh. because it was acidic. Really? You know, so it goes straight down. So. What we do, you know, so listening to people's voices have also given me a clue into kind of what's going on into their deeper system. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you think about it, everybody knows somebody who's been in pain and listen to what their voice sounds like. It's usually not very low and sexy, is it? No. It's you know, yeah. it's high pitched. It's strained. You know, sometimes it's breathy um, when people's systems have fallen kind of into disuse. You know, that, you know, they haven't exercised and, you know, they just haven't, they don't have any oom to themselves. The voice can be low and craggly, you know, like there's not a lot of air support to get the vocal folds going and, and wiggling and wobbling and doing their thing. And so I use a lot of breath and voice work to help people re-coordinate and train their entire, what I call internal system from... You know, the that from the glottis to the pelvic floor. Okay. It actually involves the mouth and the teeth and the you know tongue and everything too. But it pulls it all together, and it actually has a really for the for the uh, physiology nerds out there. It actually is one of the best ways <clears throat> to interact with the the, the glossopharyngeal system, the vagal system, and the trigeminal system, which are cranial nerves that tend to provide sensory support, do all of this uh, chewing and swallowing and talking and communicating. And then the vagal system, which is gonna kind of rise up to meet the needs or help that sympathetic system or the run from the tiger system put the brakes on a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, so long tails, changing voice pitch. Okay. Oh my gosh, all the stuff that I did with my- do exactly all the stuff that you've always been doing following
0: therapy that's that's kind of what mm-hmm. we did pitch exercises and you know the vagus nerve has gotten a lot of press it's very popular these days mm-hmm. <laughs> for um stress but when you when you think about so so it's dependent on whether that person has a really tight pelvic floor and it's too tight versus it's too loose mm-hmm. so based on what you just talked about the exercises that you would do with someone are are different you know it's either the high pitch or the low pitch based on whatever you're seeing going on in the pelvic floor what are some yeah. of the breath exercises that you use with people
1: so the breath breath exercises are a lot of fun to do um, they're all based on the premise of a longer exhale it was mm-hmm. talking in terms of people calming down um exhale. you know the longer exhales are the key and I also like to think about, you know, because a lot of my people have, you know, they're a little anxious or, you know, they think I can't settle down. And one of the tricks that I learned a long time ago from, a, from a, a psychologist on some anxiety and people kind of having almost anxiety attacks is to not give them the bag to breathe into, but to have them do a very simple exercise, which is give them three numbers that make no sense and tell them to repeat them. so in other words 27 42 10 and then the next time you do it you'll give them like 17 100 5 13 and they have to stop and process that because they're not in any kind of sequence or pattern yeah and so i do the same thing with breathing i'll just say um you know breathe you know they'll lay there on the table and i'll just say okay this next sequence i want you to breathe in for four counts I want you to hold for two and I want you to breathe out for seven. Oh! And then I'll switch it up on them. I'll say, now I want you to breathe in for three. I want you to hold for six and I want you to breathe out for five. I make no sense whatsoever, but they have to kind of like, wait, what do we do? And I have to be quiet enough to listen. And they're paying attention to that. And they're not paying attention to the, the, the noise bouncing around in their head. Oh, wow. So how would you recreate that if
0: someone wanted to do that on their own? So-
1: That's that's a great question. And um, one of the things that I like to use is uh, an app that's called Clock Yourself. And it's a movement app because you create a clock on the floor and you step on, it'll randomly, it tells you where to go. It takes you around the clock first and then it randomly tells you where to go. So what I'll have them do, I just modify it for this. I have them I'll just say, turn it on, let it take you around the clock. Don't worry about it. And when it gives the first three numbers, turn it off and do that for your breathing. Oh. Okay. And go back and then it'll regenerate. It's randomly generating numbers. So they're not anticipating because if they come up with it, they're anticipating. Right, right, and right. Just, it Takes the off. whole purpose right. away. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of built on the whole balance system Which needs to be reactive and not anticipated.
0: I love that clock yourself app. I'm Mm -hmm. going to put a link to that in the show notes because again, like a lot of this stuff, are you know, we certainly want someone to go see a a pelvic floor therapist to really get a great assessment on on Mm -hmm. what could be going on. But then to kind of carry some of these things over, people, you know, I always want to give people some some tools and things that they can use right now and see how that changes what's going on for them and I mean you've given so much great information here's another question I hope you think is a good one too how do you know and what 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 could you tell people to look for for a good pelvic therapist and maybe one who's not as good as they should be like what do you look for in a good pelvic floor therapist
1: so what you want to look for is somebody who is going to spend time and hear your story mm-hmm. help you connect the dots and is going to look as much at your movement system how you move how you bend how you squat how you stand how you go as well as locally how your pelvic floor is behaving okay that's that's the the best part and that they're gonna understand pain and they're not going to try to just Put their hands on you to solve your pain problem, but to really work with you with the, all the pieces in your life to do that. All of the you know we're about that, here, yeah, the psychosocial piece of it. The 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 what not to look for is for somebody who is going to bring you into the room and just look at your pelvic floor, and that's all they're going to look at. Uh huh. And they just, or they want to hook you just up to a biofeedback machine, biofeedback has its place. All of these things are great modalities, but, none but <laughs> ones that are not so good, maybe you're going to spend too much time doing things like that and not really interacting with you. And, you know, you want somebody who's going to ask you like, okay, so you're leaking urine when you run. Tell me about that is it like when you first step off to run is it like when does that occur you know if somebody tells me oh it's always at mile three then it's like tell me about mile three are you
0: worried about know? mile
1: three <laughs> yeah like, are, are you running up a hill is it an endurance problem you know why don't you know because an endurance problem can be different than a strength problem yeah Yeah. so you want you want them to you'll you know you want to be able to engage with them and i think any healthcare provider that Join up with their clients and walk side by side with them is probably the good place to be. And I always tell people too, like
0: if if your person isn't willing to at least maybe talk to you for a few minutes on the phone before they get you in the office, then
1: you (laughs) might want to
0: cross them off the list because they should be willing to chat with you and help you understand what you might be able to do for them before you plunk down the money and sit down in their office. So I feel like that's kind of a, a good, good piece of it. So, so that got, you know, Susan, this has been amazing, more amazing than I even thought. I was super excited about this because I do have a lot of clients that have issues like this. So I feel like we were able to kind of dig into quite a few things and, mm-hmm. and really helping people find like a good professional is important. So, yeah. you know, I work with people kind of all over the country, um, Certainly some in Pennsylvania, some in California, Ohio, Colorado, California, you know, but it to, are you doing, I mean, I know you need to get hands on, but do you also do some virtual consults and tell us how, how you work with people?
1: Yes, um, that's a great question. Um, I do do a lot of distance consults. So uh, people get on with me and we talk through a lot of the things you and I talked through today. Mm -hmm. And often one of the things that I'll do when I'm working with them on the integrative approach piece that I'm doing um, is I'll help them find a a physical therapist in their area Mm -hmm. uh, to work with, or they may already be working with a physical therapist, and then I will work with them with their PT or their OT or their speech therapist or who they may be working with depending upon what their needs are. Yeah. And and just, you know, because I feel like if we when we work together with our clients, the clients win when we work separately from our clients with our clients, you know, they get they get pulled between places. So I'm, you know, if I if they can't get in to see me or they can't, you know, what because they're a long ways away, I will help them find a PT in their area. Oh, that's great. They can, And then I can continue working with them with uh, other pieces that they want to get into. Yeah, yeah. So So one of the the
0: physical therapists that I worked with at a hospital here who has since, and this was quite a few years ago, moved to California. She posted something about um, a course you were doing or something that you posted on Instagram. And she reposted. And I said, I said, oh, Susan, I said, I know her. I said, I used to know her when I lived in New Orleans. And she said, oh, my gosh, she is like, a guru guru in this area. She was so excited. And I mean, you've really like grown an incredible practice and the knowledge base that you've created, like this is stuff that I have not heard. And I'm not certainly in the world of, of pelvic floor therapy, but I do feel like the stuff that you're doing is really pretty innovative and um, you know, it would be great to to get more people thinking this way and really opening up that box of what could it be that's contributing to this, because I've learned so much that I can help pass on to some of my clients about what to think differently. So um, also tell us a little bit about your practice. Um, Embody physiotherapy, why it's called
1: physiotherapy yeah. instead of physical yeah, therapy, too. <laughs> so uh, my partner and I opened this practice uh, in 2014, and we wanted it to, to be different because we wanted to include the wellness and integrative approach in physical therapy. So we, uh, everybody else in the world are physiotherapists, only in the United States are they physical therapists. Right. So we decided we wanted, and I have a bit of an international presence and i um, I have a foundation that global women's health initiative mm-hmm. that um, i do and i have a podcast that i uh that i star in called tough to treat and so we just and my partner is a yoga specialist oh great integrative physio yoga and so we just use physiotherapy because we felt like it just had so much more to it mm-hmm. um i'm in the process now of of leaving embody, as sad as that is but my husband, the professor is moving on and I will move on with him. So I'm opening my own company this summer and it'll be called LTI physio. Okay. You can find me there, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. And I'll still have my, uh, Susan at embody PT.com email for some time. Okay. Uh, as people transition over and you know, the, the businesses, do the things that we're going to do for yeah. Becky to carry on with Embody and I'll carry on, you know, we'll still be together somewhat, but, you know, it makes sense to separate too at this point.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, I'm going to put all of the the links in the show notes so that people can okay. find you. And is LTI Physio, is there any um, presence yet online for you or no? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay
1: the website okay. is in construction everything everything's under <laughs> this is this month for for selling the house and building my business under construction but it's it'll all be there
0: yeah that's great though to know that you're doing that and people can always kind of reach out and i'm sure yeah. um susan at body physio will
1: yeah be it, to reach yeah out to you yeah, yeah susan at embody-pt.com and uh you know, I'll still have a presence on Embody the rest of the year and, uh, you know, it'll be easy to find me. Okay, yeah, and
0: LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. So this has been really good. I I, I can't keep saying how, how much I think this is gonna really help so many people that um, I will hopefully turn on to this. And um, I just appreciate you being here and working it into your schedule and working with my schedule um it, it's just great information so so thank you
1: you're welcome and you're very welcome i'm very happy to be here and if anybody has any questions you know if you can't find me uh karen well, karen knows how to get in touch with me so yeah uh she can always find me for you and this is fantastic thank you for having me and helping me just kind of keep the word going and uh, disrupting healthcare. <laughs> I love that disrupting healthcare. I'm very
0: interested in doing that too. Cause we spent many years in healthcare. That was not necessarily doing the work that we wanted to do. Right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. So there you go. If you didn't learn a few things here, I can't even imagine it. I might be more excited about this than others, but it's only because I see so many people in my practice that experience these issues. So I hope you had some key takeaways here, and please check the show notes for all the links mentioned in our conversation and how to connect with Susan so she can either work with you or refer you to someone that is qualified near you. As always, thanks for listening today, and if this conversation had you thinking of a friend that might benefit, please pass it along. See you in a few weeks with another conversation on Full Capacity Living Podcast. Until then, live your best life. Thanks.